these moments to lift up the name of Jesus. And, uh, you know, I just love that thought. We have the same God, the same God that anointed and appointed His apostles is the same God that's present with us this morning. And uh, just a sense of expectation as we come to worship God, that it's no ordinary God we worship, yet He presents Himself with His people. I see some people already taking a seat. That's awesome. But I'm going to ask you just to stand one more time. Uh, we just, I just so appreciate the Stormers and the Bulls being in the final of the United Rugby Championship. I don't know. I just thought that would be good. Um, but uh, just grateful for these moments together to meet at this church. As you take a seat, give someone a high five. Tell them they're looking good and welcome to church. God's going to speak to you. God's going to speak to you. God is going to speak to you. Amen. Amen. Welcome to 1030. If you're visiting us, Dill said it's a warm uh, well, welcome to you. Thank you for joining us on a nice Sunday. We live in a beautiful part of the country. As we always say, it's the promised land. Amen. And for those who are joining us line, good to have you with us too. Um, I'm going to get straight into it. And uh, we're starting a series today. It's the book of Acts. It's quite chilly in here, is it? But we'll warm up. There we go. The book of Acts. And uh, it's, uh, well, if you get into the book of Acts and you read the book of Acts, I tell you one thing your heart's going to do. It's going to start to burn from the inside out. And just over these next five weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. And the reason we're doing it is because uh, recently I uh, saw a clip from the Apollo 13. Everyone heard it? Remember Apollo 13? Okay, just me. Someone at the back there. Thank you. Apollo 13, Tom Hanks and a couple of guys, and they went off to the moon, and they got into trouble. The oxygen tank went up, and, and they were coming down. And, and mission control was on earth in Florida. And there was a guy who led mission control. And his sole responsibility was to bring these three astronauts back in safety. And you know the one line from Houston, we have a problem. You know that one line. Anyway, there's another line that's in this film that stood to my attention. It reminds us of what we've been called to as a church. And um, anyway, they're in mission control. The problems happen. The oxygen tank's gone off. They're in huge trouble. The guy who's speaking to the 50-odd personnel in mission control goes through the challenges, and he just lists them, challenge after challenge after challenge. Now, I don't know about you, but it feels like the last three years here. <laughs> challenge after challenge after challenge. If it's not the looting, it's the rain. If it's not the rain, it's the variant. If it's not the variant, it's the virus. And anyway, so we've got challenges, but he's talking, and he's going, and then he stops, and there's this awkward silence. And then one guy from the back, young intern, gets up, adjusts his suit, adjusts his tie, and he says, excuse me, sir, with all due respect, I think this can be our finest hour. And I thought to myself, as the church, what if, what if, in the generation we're living in, what if this could be our finest hour? Our finest hour over our marriages and our families and our communities and our neighborhoods and this country. You see, the finest hour doesn't depend on the circumstance. The finest hour is the faith we carry inside of us. It's not dependent on it. It's what God's put inside of us. What if this could be our finest hour? Do you know that Jesus spoke about an hour? He spoke about a finest hour. You know what he said? He said, the hour is coming when my true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. Can I say it another way? The hour is coming when my true worshipers will worship in power and truth, the power to live in this life. Our finest hour is not waiting for one day when we get to heaven. Heaven has come to our hearts and we're living it now. The finest hour is when God's power gets inside our ordinary hearts and is displayed for His glory on this earth. His power inside of us. We're not... We're not, we're not waiting one day. It's here with us right now. That's the story of Pentecost. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came down and filled our hearts. 
uh, Tess spoke so well last week around that thought of being anointed. And so we're leading on, but if I'm anointed, I'm also appointed. Appointed for a purpose, appointed to witness, appointed for my life to be a witness, my business to be a witness, my marriage to be a witness, my family to be a witness, for my life to represent something and showcase the glory of God. When the world out there sees God in you, they glorify Him because they go, oh my gosh, just ordinary you doing something supernatural. Amen? Amen. So it's our finest hour, and over the next week we're going to look at that. But the thought for today, and here's what I want to do, it's something that we all know, it's something that we long for. When we were little children, we had these people in our lives. They were things that we, people we looked up to. We all wanted to be this. We all wanted to have it. And in fact, sometimes life and challenges have come at us, and we've, we've, we've downed down our expectation. We almost got a little bit, as we get older, we got wrinkles, and these are actually war maps because it's all the challenges we've been through in life. And sometimes because of the challenges, we tend to downplay it. But it's something that God wants to give every one of us. In fact, when we get to the end of our lives, it's what we want to be known for. And so I want to today, if you're taking notes, the simple title is this, A Heroic Heart. I want to talk about what it looks like to be a hero, but not just a hero, a hero of the faith. And I don't know about you guys, but we have different interpretations of what a hero is. And I thought I'd help you guys just with some pictures of what some heroes have looked like for me in my life. Starting with this one behind me. Uh, you'll see him come up now. Do you see him? You! Can I just give me my cape? Let me, uh, to be honest, every now and then I fly, oh, I, I dream, and then I dream I'm Superman. <laughs> Anybody else here? It's just me. Anybody else here just want to fly? You know, you're like, just make me fly, you know? I would love to have been Superman. I mean, look at him. I mean, back those, the, the suits were tight. I mean, Lycra was back in. I mean, look at those boots. Yo. Anyway, so Superman, we, that, that was a hero for me growing up. And then, and then there's another hero, and this is probably more contextual to who you are, Winston Churchill. I mean, look at him. I mean, what an incredible man. A man who fought the evil of what Hitler represented. The man who stood up when a time when the world was shaking and he said, he used these words. He said, a thousand years from now, they will thank us that in this generation, it was our finest hour. He fought, he fought for freedom. And the reason we are here today is because he fought for freedom. Winston Churchill was a hero. What about the next guy? Mm-hmm. Too soon. That's definitely too soon. <laughs> I think Chris Rock won't be too pleased with that. But anyway, so, you know, there's, there's another hero, Will Smith. But anyway, here's the thing. Here's what I want to say is that our perspective on heroes is a bit tainted. You know, we, have a, uh, we, we associate heroes with celebrities. We associate heroes with, we, we, there's a distorted image because I think, to be honest, there's a self-interest inside of us that wants to have some sort of celebrity status. We want to be that known for something. I mean, you ask the average young person, they want to, I want to get them YouTube, give me some followers, you know. But, but so I think God, in a way, wants to show us what a true hero's heart looks like. But I got one more photo for you, and I actually found it on Friday on the streets of Durban. <laughs> it was amazing. And this is often what we think a hero might look like too, but... Okay, there we go. Sorry, it came up a bit early. But anyway, we're on the streets at Fatima. My daughter goes to Fatima. So Kath and I are there, and we walk up, and we see this building. But it's the signs in the building that took my attention. And I looked at this guy. I was like, oh, my gosh, Durban male grooming. You know what, guys? Relax, men. Durban's, geographically, we're not in Durban. So it's going to be okay. There's no Belito male grooming. That I, not that I know of. But anyway, I thought to myself, maybe I could phone that number and ask them, you know, like... 
number one, first question would be, do you, do you believe in miracles? Because how do we ever become like that? And then depending on whether it's a yes or a no, it's like, have you got a payment plan for that? Because I'm not sure we could ever be like that. But you see, there is this impression of what the world aims to being uh, to being to look like, or it's uh, it's an outside talent, or it's something that I might have on the outside. But God wants to get on in the inside, and so what the world would display as a hero, it's not that. What I want to do today, and my hope is this: that every movement has heroes. We're going to look at some early church heroes, people that sacrificed their lives, people that saw the kingdom of God and said, "No, no, we've got a message that we need to tell the world with." And I think if it's going to be our finest hour, we need to let heat to get on the inside of us and recognize the purpose that God given us, and that's to be a witness. The power of the Holy Spirit has come for you to be a witness first, first to witness to God and what He's done for us. And so we want to capture that in some ways. There are heroes in every movement. Christianity is a movement, not a membership. And what do heroes do? They inspire us to live bigger lives. They challenge our small thinking. I think when David came up against Goliath, it wasn't the size of Goliath that made him angry or upset. It was the small thinking of the people of Israel. Hey, guys, let me just remind you about the God that's bigger than this giant. Let me remind you about the God that has already declared victory over your life. Let me remind you, and sometimes the thing behind getting in church is to remind ourselves that God's bigger than we can ever comprehend. We have one hero, just to set it up from the beginning. His name is Jesus Christ. And he did what we could never do. Some people ask me, are we saved by works? I say 100% yes, just not our works, his works. What he did for you and I is the most amazing thing we can ever comprehend. And to the extent to which our heart sees that, if you'll just see the hero, you'll pick up some of his traits. Can we read a scripture today? Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to read it. Um, and I've got some te uh, tensions in this text. Attention is... How many know that life is full of tensions? Uh, but tensions are not there to be resolved sometimes. They're just there to be managed. But also tensions build something in you. If we didn't have challenges or circumstances that came against us, we would we'd be comfortable. And if uh, you get comfortable, life becomes easy. And then you come. But anyway, God has called us to live in a world, whether we believe us or not, and we're going to face some tensions. But in it, He gives us some truth. Are you ready for the truth and the tension? Let's read it together. Acts chapter 4, verse 23 and it reads like this. It's, it's in the early church. It says, on their release. What were they released from? They were released from prison. Ten, there's a tension straight up in the text. They are in prison. They have been in prison. I don't know. Maybe you felt like you've been in prison for a while. Prison into your thoughts. Prison into your past. Prison. I don't know what your prison looks like. It might not be physical, but it can be spiritual. They, after their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. I just love this start because I don't know about you, but if I'd heard they'd been in prison, I would have said, guys, let's make a different plan. Let's, I don't know about you, but it'd be, like, it'd be like a couple of guys go and plant a church in Stanger and they start preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. Next thing you hear, they're in jail. What would our reaction be? Listen, get some lawyers in there, sort it out, get them out. Never go back to Stanger. What were you thinking? Maybe our thing would be change the message. Tell them about the prodigal son. It's a lot better. Not about the resurrection of Jesus. No, you would think, or maybe get some insurance on their lives. Do, I don't know. We would make a plan. But when I look at the early church, they were less about a plan and more about power. No, no, no. We want to make all the plans and the plans and the plans. Plans aren't bad, but I want to tell you, plans will get you nowhere. You need power. 
And you know where power comes from? Yeah, yeah, next. But prayer. It's prayer. I thought, that is true, Ponzi, but we pray to Jesus. But you see, you know, it comes from prayer. Now, let me tell you about prayer, because prayer, you see, we think prayer is a self-discipline thing. You know, I must just pray every day, and I'm going to pray. No, prayer is not a self-discipline. Prayer is a dependence on God. Prayer is going, listen, if I don't have God, i got nothing. Can anybody please help me here? As a parent, do you need God? Oh, jeez, I'm going to talk to these guys here. They, they got their parenting worked out. Hey, guys, to parents, our teenagers, does anyone need help? We need prayer. Okay, let me talk to these guys here. To run your business and to look after your people that God's entrusted you. Do you need a plan or do you need prayer? We need prayer. We need prayer. Our dependency on God is not in my plans, but in my prayer. God, I need you. It's not a self, you know what? You can't fix an internal problem with an external strategy. What we need is the power on the inside. Power. And the early church recognized it. What was the default setting? Not a plan, but prayer. God, you are sovereign. Now watch what they say. Let's read it together. It says, Sovereign Lord. Oof, I love that title. Sovereign Lord. They said, you made the heavens and the earth and sea and everything in them. Listen how they pray. You spoke the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant. Now they start to quote scripture. Oh, when you, And he says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot invade? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Do you see the sovereignty of God? Even that which was caused for evil is turned for good. They conspired against him, but no conspiracy can stand against our sovereign Lord. And he said, now, Lord, oh, I love that. Now, Lord, not tomorrow, Lord, not yesterday. Now, Lord, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great, say it with me, boldness, boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Can I paraphrase it for this context in 2022? If this is gonna be our finest hour, God, I pray that your church would speak the word of God with boldness, that you would stretch out your hand over our country and you would heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of the holy servant of Jesus. If there's one thing a scared world needs today is a fearless church. Yo. We need a fearless church in a fearful world. We get scared, I get scared, we do, but God, please, if it's gonna be our generation, our finest hour, put some faith in us again to remind a scared world that there is nothing God can't do and he can change it and he can bring hope to our country again. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. You know that every time God comes down, from heaven and he touches earth, there were earthquakes. The ground shakes, but he didn't come to shake to condemn us, he comes to shake to empower us, to embolden us. And they're all filled, not just the word all, all of us, all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All, you see it again? All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own but they shared everything they had. 
With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully in work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. What a beautiful picture of the church. No one in need. People sacrificing, being generous, boldness, love like we could never comprehend. Do not dream of a church like that. We're living in a church like that. Generous people, bold people, Loving people. Well, how do we do it? If there were heroes back then, there's not just a chapter in the Bible here, you know, the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. That, that's not just for, for those select few. God's invited you and I to also have a heroic heart. And how do we cultivate that? Four things I want to mention. First one, sovereignty and suffering. Attention to the text that brings truth. Sovereignty and suffering. Sovereignty and suffering. The word sovereign means two words. The, the reign is ruler, sov, sov is supreme. He is the supreme ruler. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm so grateful for a God that stands above this earth, that is not limited to time and space, a God that can turn what was meant for evil and turn it for good, a God who knows that created everything and yet knows everything about us. He's not just earthly ruler, he's supreme ruler. He stands above us and he knows everything about us and yet he wants our good and his glory to shine through this universe. I'm so grateful for a supreme leader and ruler. Here's the challenge though. When we think of sovereign and supreme, we think like, you know, like often people will say, the man upstairs, they, they call God the man upstairs, which is to imply there's a ceiling, which to imply that he's far from us. You see, we are thinking is because he's sovereign, he's far from us, but that's not true. Because the gospel is a story about a God who writes himself into our story. Do you know that if you, there's a play that's happened for many years in London, it's called Cats, written by Andrew Lloyd Webber. And you can go to the play. In fact, you can even cast for an acting role in the play. But even if you're in the play or you watch the play, you're never gonna find out the character of Andrew Lloyd Webber. You never get to know the author. But I wanna tell you the good news of the gospel is that God wrote the play of humanity and he's written himself into the story by sending his son and giving us his Holy Spirit. That's how good, God is not someone far off in the skies. He's the one that came down to live on earth and suffer with us and suffer through his son so that we might have life. The king has written himself into the story. You know, I thought about it. The queen just celebrated 20 years of her, I mean, sorry, 20, 70 years of her jubilee. The royal uh, fans here are gonna, mm -mm, no. The queen, 70 years on the throne. I mean, did you see the pageantry? Did you see the musicians come out, Buckingham Palace at dawn, celebrating the queen? But you see, it's been a long time since we've seen someone ascend the throne. She did it 70 years ago. Now, she's 96, the queen, and there's gonna come a time where she's gonna say goodnight. She's gonna go to heaven. And who's gonna ascend the throne? We're not quite sure. Hopefully, it's Prince Charles. He's hanging on. But Prince Charles, but you see, there must be a chair in Buckingham Palace somewhere. And Prince Charles is gonna ascend the throne. He's gonna move from a prince to a king. You know what happens when you move from a prince to a king? It changes his relationship with the people. He becomes your majesty now. And there's this separation that happens where once there was familiarity with the prince, there's no longer with the king, but not so with the God that we know. You see, the God we know, you see, Jesus said to Mary at an empty tomb, he said, Mary, don't hold on to me. I'm ascending to my father. 
Tell my brothers. You know how beautiful this is? Jesus said, my ascension, the further I ascend, the closer you come to me because Jesus once called us friends, but now he calls us brothers. You see, as my God's ascended, it means I have closer intimacy with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. He ascended so that the Spirit could come to you and I, no matter where we are. We might be in a prison block, we might be separated, we might be in the deepest depths, but God's Spirit is with us all the way. He ascended. We were once friends before John 14. John 20, we are now family. You see, our supreme ruler, he might have ascended, but means we've come closer. Mary, let go. You're gonna get more of me. More of me. Supreme ruler. And then he speaks about suffering. You know, these guys were in prison. Prison. Pagati. Inside. They were in prison. Now we, we, we read it and we're like, hey, nice. Wait till you go into prison. Reality hits you in the face. But I, not, a, not a physical prison, but in many ways we walk in those prisons every day. The prison around our thinking. And can I just tell you something? When you go through tough times and you, and you see grief and loss, the challenge is not so much about the circumstance, the pain of the circumstance that we go through. It's more about the assumptions or wrong assumptions we made about God in the pain. It's our limiting beliefs about who God is when we go through the suffering. And what Jesus was saying to Mary, Mary, you need to let go of your limiting beliefs. You're looking for an empty tomb. You're looking for a dead Jesus. I'm no longer dead. I'm fully alive. You see, when we go through pain sometimes, Pain can, can shut down our eyes. Mary couldn't see anyone. She couldn't see Jesus. She couldn't even see the angels. She didn't recognize them. You know why? Because when you're looking for the pain, when you're always looking for pain, pain is all you're gonna see. But in the pain, he invites us. No, no, you can see the promise in the pain. Jesus standing before him. But he's so kind, you know. He says her name. He goes, Mary. And you know, this isn't Mary, his mother, or Mary and Martha, you know that Mary? No, this is Mary Magdalene. When she gets introduced into the Bible, she's the one that was possessed by seven demonic spirits. You know what I love about this? When Jesus, the first person he shows himself to in his resurrected states as a woman, Mary Magdalene. You know what I love about this? God works most powerfully in those who are most powerless. His grace is surprising. His love is unending. In your pain, when you feel like you've got nothing to go, that's when the grace of God comes in. He came looking for you and I, and he found us where we're at. And he gives her a name, he says, Mary. And Mary, he, her response is Rabboni. The word rabbi is teacher. Rabboni is like a nickname. It's affectionate. It's like here on the North Coast, everyone end with an affectionate name is an I at the end. It's like Granty, Dubsy, E, I at the end. It's, just a, it's an affectionate name. Mary had an affectionate name with her, with her father, with Jesus. She knew him and loved him. And yet Jesus says, no, let go, because I've still got more for you. I've still got more for you. Sovereignty and suffering. Sovereignty and suffering. You know, suffering, grief and loss, uh, they are part of our lives. We can't absolve ourselves from them. The gospel doesn't de derail itself from it and say, no, 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 don't face your emotion. Don't deal with your grief and loss. No, the gospel says grieve with hope. But I, I think sometimes the expectation is not to weep or to grieve or to loss. But actually the Bible tells us that when they describe the man who lived with the purest heart. They said he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with much grief. He had a soft heart. You and I, when we get to know Jesus, you and I will know what it is to have a soft heart. That even in that suffering, we can lay hold to a sovereign God who loves us and knows us. 
this is what I see in a hero's heart. Someone who's able to live between the tension of he's sovereign over me, yet I can walk through this because I know he's with me. That's what a hero's heart looks like. Second is this, faith and fear. Faith and fear. You see, I think faith must have been around in those times. When they came back with a report and they said that council's doing this and the Pharisees are coming at us and Stephen had been martyred and there's, there's persecution coming and what about our family and what about our, uh, our, they're taking away our possessions, our houses are being taken back. There must have been fear in the air. Well, if there was fear back then, there's still fear here today. You see, fear is, fear is not something that's just gonna vanish. We're always gonna have fear with us. But fear, fear is not a bad thing. Fear is an emotion. Here's the challenge. You see, I think we can make fear an emotion, just don't make it a devotion. You see, because we so easily make fear a devotion. Think about it for a moment. When you're fearful, it gives you fearful feelings, isn't it right? And we're so bad at forecasting our feelings. We think if we wake up on Monday and we're feeling grumpy, Wednesday's gonna be the same, and then Friday's gonna be the same, you know? Just because it's happening today doesn't mean it's gonna happen again on Wednesday. Fear is an emotion. It's a healthy thing, just don't make it a devotion. I said earlier, you know, fear, make it a visitor, not a resident in your heart. There's a difference between someone who comes to your house. You see, a visitor won't help himself to your fridge. Well, hopefully not. But, but you, that's not the space for it, you know. If you're a resident, totally different thing. You can take a shower, you can access the fridge, you can turn the aircon on and off, you can go and lie on the bed if you want to, because you're a resident. Don't make fear a resident in our hearts. Well, how do we do it? We administer or make access to the very thing God's given us. He's given us faith. Now, we confuse faith with our courage and confidence. Everyone lose their courage and confidence here before? We all do. But I wanna tell you, there's one thing you'll never lose is faith. You know why? Because faith is not something you garner up. Faith is something you've been graced into. It's a gift given by God. The very fact that your eyes were open to the good news of the gospel wasn't your doing, sir. No, it wasn't. God opened your eyes. He gave you a little bit of faith. God never talks about big faith or small faith, a, quality, a quantity of faith, but he does talk about a quality of faith. Where's the quality of faith? It's the object of our faith, who's Jesus Christ. If I've been given it, I can't take it away. It's from him. Well, how do we use faith? I think faith has to do with perspective, how we see. You see, these guys, they, faith was before them, but you see, where, faith, where fear sees a crisis, faith sees an opportunity. No, God, no, no, no. Hey, we better get back. We're gonna huddle back in our home church. Hey, listen, guys, let's change the message. No, let's go back. No, fear, fear sees a crisis and withdraws. Faith sees an opportunity. Let's go and speak the word with boldness and see more people saved. That's what faith does. Think about Paul. Paul goes to prison and they chain him to the walls with prisoners, with soldiers with him. And you would think fear goes, oh my, that's a crisis. Now you're in jail. Now it's finished. You go, Paul, that's it. No, Paul goes, no, 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 listen. These chains aren't, these, I'm not chained to the chains. The chains are chained to me. These soldiers, this whole palace is gonna get saved. Fear sees the crisis. Paul saw an opportunity. Think about the, the spies that went into the promised land. 10 of them went in. Oh my gosh, fear sees the crisis. They're giants in the land. Two of them go in. What do they see? Cities already built so that we can one day occupy them. Do you see that? Fear sees the crisis. Faith sees an opportunity. What do you see with your eyes? Do you know, it's important how you see. And neurologists have picked it up, that your eyes, the neurons fire back quicker towards your brain than they do forwards. Okay, let me make sense. So, so in other words, what you, what you think shapes what you see. Not what you see shapes what you think. 
That's why five people can go to the same rugby game and come back with five different reports. Because if you arrive at that rugby game negative, all you're going to see is the negative. But if you arrive at that game optimistic, all you're going to see is the optimism all around you. You see, it's dependent on how we see. Fear sees a crisis. Faith sees an opportunity. What opportunities stand before us at the church? Has this whole community heard the gospel? No, not yet in Belito. Has your neighborhood heard the gospel? No, not yet. What about your work colleagues? No, not yet. What does that mean? We have an opportunity as a church. A hero sees opportunity. The second is power. Power. Do your mass for a moment. Jesus, before the Holy Spirit comes, he's got himself and 120 crew. Holy Spirit comes, 3,000 people saved, 5,000 people saved. Do you see the power? Do you see the difference that happens? Dunamis power, dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes. There's something that happens in the Spirit that can't be comprehended. Think about it for a moment. When the Holy Spirit came, wind and fire. When the wind came, what does it represent? A violent wind. You know what this tells me? A little stick in a violent wind can do a lot of damage, amen? It can, it can. Your little life in the presence of a powerful God can do a measurable impact or have a measurable difference. It's true, isn't it? And so often we walk around and go like, hey, I'm just, uh, mm, I'm just, uh, yeah, not good enough. I just can't do it. I just, I just, I just, but maybe we should change our language to know I'm just a child of God in the presence of a powerful wind. I'm just this person, but I know the God that loves me and knows me, and he poured his spirit, and he gave me, and he anointed me with his spirit. I'm just Mark, but I know that God loves me and knows me, and he's called me for a purpose. You know what I'm saying? Change our language. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit is resonant in our hearts. The last one, faith and fear, is around accessing the promise. We access the promise. That's the gift of the gospel. You know, I think you've got the word, and then you've got the promise. But do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says you can have the word and the word doesn't necessarily profit you. Hebrews chapter four says they had the word, but it didn't profit them. What does it mean by that? You know, if I had to come to church on a Sunday, we love coming to church, don't we? Don't we love coming to church? Andrew, won't you move two seats down there? Just on that third seat. There we go. I'll come join you. So you know what happens is we come to church and I, hey, Andrew's my brother. <laughs> that was my brother. And we sit down at church and, you know, we can come even four Sundays in a row to church. And we can hear the word. Do you hear the word today? Good word. Thanks, my brother. Always encouraging. Amazing. <laughs> but, you know, we can, we can hear the word and we can get inspired a bit. But the Bible says you can hear the word but never profit you. But, but if I think of this early church, they prayed scripture, they heard the word, and then they acted on it. And they accessed an incredible promise because it says there was no one in need. There was generosity and boldness around them. There was something that they did or acted on. How many know that I can be in church, I can hear the word, I can go home, goosebumps. I go home and I suck myself up. I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. But you never do it. Or we hear the word, <laughs> we heard it and we think we've done it, but we haven't done it. You know, I can hear the word, I go home and interpret it in Greek and Hebrew, but I'm still not gonna access the promise. What's important is what I mix with the word. Now, when I hear mixing, oof, I get excited because it reminds me of my mum. When she remember, mum used to make cheesecake in the Kenwood machine, and she used to mix the eggs with the flour and the icing, and, and then mum would make it, and then she would us four boys would be like hungry dogs outside, 
And then she'd say, the bowl is ready now. <laughs> We'd lick that thing clean. Eh? You remember that? <laughs> it was cleaner than a dishwasher today. Anyway, so mixing's important, you know. And so I'm not a baker, neither am a candlestick maker, but my wife makes a great mealy bread. And you know the mealy bread, you put butter on that, it's hot, it's beautiful, but it's got the right ingredients. But you know when you get to the end of the month, all you've got is baked beans, a bit of cheese left. And then you try and put that ingredient into the mealy bread. It doesn't turn out like mealy bread. And it's the same with us. We need the proper ingredients to access the promise. Now, Andrew, what if I told you that I've got a promise up here? There's something that's already been prepared. It's just a secret between you and I. I don't tell anyone. It's up there. It's already been prepared. And I thought to myself, isn't that true? The Bible says that there are 3,000 promises in the Word of God that are accessible for every single one of us. And the problem is, is we got the Word, and we think, no, I just got the Word. The Word's fine. But we never act on the Word. But the Bible says you've got, to, you've got to mix the Word with faith to access the promise. Therefore, it'll profit you. And so God's reminding you and I that today, that although we've got the Word, and the Word's good, don't you agree? Don't you think the Word's good? It's, it's sharper than living, you know, every time. <laughs> it's sharper than living and active. It's, it's, it equips us with every good work. That's what the Bible says. The Word's good. I mean, think about it for a moment. I've got three children. I feed them the same food. If two of them are strong and one's a little bit weak, there's nothing wrong with the food. Am I right? We're in this church here today. We all get the Word every Sunday. We get the Word when we go home and we read it for ourselves. We're all getting the same Word. How is it that some aren't accessing the promise and others aren't? Why? You know why? Because God says you've got to mix it with someone, something. And today I, I, I've got a promise up there. It's already prepared for us. But I put a little note on three chairs here, just below it. You're going to have to look under your chair. There's a little, little sign on the, on the chair there. And, uh, you know, you, you look under your chair. If it's there, it's there. If it's there, you can pick it up. If you can pick it up, does you want you to grab that envelope for me? Anybody get, a, anybody get a notice on their chair? Oh, there we go, right in the front. So, 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 so there's, three, there's three other people here, but, you know, here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You read that now. It says this. I, I, I have a promise for you. It's up here on the platform. And you see, you only access the promise when you get up out of your chair. You see, they've, they've all three of them have heard the same word. But the only way they're going to access the promise is when they get out of their chair. Oh, is there no one who wants to access the promise today? <laughs> Maybe I haven't sold the promise. The promise is, no, no, you'll get to it. Does anybody want to access the promise today? Oh, you do, but you didn't get the note. I'm talking to the three people that got the note. Who wants to access the promise first? You do, sir. Will you get up for me? Just stand up. There we go. You see that? All it took was to get up. Sometimes, you know, faith is, we hear a word, we hear a word, we hear a word, but we never get up on it. We never get up with what God's given us. We never get up and do what we said. We never get up and make a decision. We never get up. You put your hand up and you got up. You know what, sir? You just access the promise. You get, you see, the other three got it. They believed it, but who's going to access it? I've got a gift for you. Aren't you? Uh, there we go. There we go. Bless you, my friend. Come get it from us. Let's give it up for, throw it your name, sir. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, this is a voucher to raise kitchen. Six-star cuisine meal. <laughs> You know what, you're gonna, you and your family, you go there and you'll be blessed. Have an amazing, because that's what God wants to do over your life. He wants to bless you with something you never deserved. You see that, you, you didn't, but you got up. Thank you for getting up today. And you know what, it's more than the food. It's the experience you're going to have. It's your family around the table. Show, tell them how much you love them and what God's done in your life. You see that?
You got the word and you got up. You accessed the promise. A hero's heart, faith and fear. Last one, sacrifice and self. Sacrifice and self. Now, sacrifice, not a woke word. <laughs> what do you mean sacrifice? That was back in the 1950s we talked about sacrifice. Sacrifice in 2022? I thought Jesus sacrificed his life for me, so I don't need to. No, no, look at this church. The church had boldness and generosity. And I thought to myself, how did they get that? In Acts 5, Peter writes this. He says, you crucified my Savior and leader. The word he uses for leader is a Greek word called agiotes, which means hero. You sacrificed my Savior and hero. Now, you know the Greeks, they had gods. One of them was Hercules. But you see the Greek gods, they were heroes, but they were heroes because they overcome their enemies with power. But I wanna tell you, Jesus Christ was unlike any other hero in history. You know why? He didn't overcome our enemy with power. He overcame our enemies with sacrifice. He gave up his life so that we might be set free. That's what a hero does. You know, I think when they saw Jesus and what he did, it motivated them. You see, we could leave here today and go, I'm just gonna go and sacrifice myself. Do it in my own strength. You're gonna fail by Wednesday. You need something bigger than that. You need to orientate yourself around the gospel and let that motivate you from the inside and let you see Jesus and what you did. Two things, boldness and generosity. How did boldness come? They saw the resurrection of Jesus. He was resurrected and they thought to themselves, if God could rescue his son from dying and raise him from the dead, why couldn't he do it for you and I? God will resurrect every single one of our stories. He'll turn what is meant for evil and bring it for good because that's what our God does. He is sovereign. And so if God will do that for him, he can do it for us. Give us boldness, God. He'd go and witness with our lives. The second is generosity. You know what they did? They didn't look at the resurrection. They looked at the cross and said, look what Jesus did for other people. Look what he did for me. Surely we should do the same for us, for others. Surely we should be generous with other people. Surely we should sacrifice ourselves. It's never been about us. It's about other people. A hero's heart knows the tension between sovereignty and suffering. Faith and fear. Sacrifice and self. Why don't you stand with me? As we close. I mentioned a story with Mary and Jesus encountering each other. And you know, the beautiful thing, you know what, you know what Jesus does? He tells her her name. He says, Maria. It's like, it was Mary Magdalene, but now he, he almost gives her a new name. He says, Mary. Now, we spend billions of dollars around the world on assessments on trying to find ourselves. We take assessment after assessment. And this culture today, you know what the culture says? Find out who you are, and you're just gonna assert yourself. Get an assessment, and then you assert yourself. The problem is it'll never last. Why? Because we're social beings. We only find our identity in those we adore, and they adore us. In those we love, and they love us. In those we respect, and those who respect us. That's why people in gangs have the greatest identity. Now I thought to myself, we've got a different gang here today. We've got a community of believers. And we not only have that, 
we have the supreme ruler of the universe who looks down on us and says, I love you personally, I love you expensively, and I love you eternally. That's what Jesus wants to be on our lives today. If you've got faith in your heart, why not?